success in both boys and girls athletics. Their expertise comes from the locker room, the classroom, and their living room. Now, the teacher coach with TK and Scott. Welcome, everybody, to the Teacher Coach Podcast here from Studio 496 in Southern Summit County. We're on the Summit Stark border here, but we're going to go out to Medina, Medina County today with one of uh, probably the most well-known and respected coaches, maybe I, I would say cutting-edge uh, football coach um, on the cusp of greatness out there in Wadsworth, which is officially Medina County, and head coach Justin Todd. Um, my counterpart, Scott Matthew Callahan, knows a lot about Coach Todd because they work in the same building. I do not because uh, being over at Archbishop Hoban and doing my own thing, we get caught up in our day. But I can't wait to experience his journey on the Teacher Coach Podcast. This should be episode 35. So, Justin, this is a called the Teacher Coach Podcast. It's Scott and I really believe in the, uh, the metaphor of a teacher coach in our life, but also the literal teacher coach, the guy who's in the hallways during the day or girl who's in the hallways during the day comes down to the field, whether it's wrestling, uh, field hockey, uh, basketball, softball, baseball, or in your case, football, the person who then influences lives um, outside of the school building in their co-curriculars. How does that fit into who you are as a person and a coach? Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. And, and I know you guys are getting great, you know, rave reviews on your, on your <laughs> podcast. So I, I do appreciate being on here. And um, quite frankly, it was, it was teachers and coaches that, that changed the directory of my life. You know, I, I mean, I, not that I was on a bad course or anything of that nature, but I was so impacted by teachers and coaches that I wanted to be able to pay that forward. And uh, probably the most important thing anybody ever told me was you know, make sure that you pay things forward. So that's really why I got into the education field. And uh, I was, you know, a- able to witness the way that coaches specifically impacted my life and, um, and, and, and those around me. And, and I saw the impact and the ability to change the, the course of somebody's future and, and I wanted to be a part of that. I thought that, that was a really special piece, and I always felt a calling to do that. So uh, for me to be able to be that teacher coach, I've had a number of different roles. I've been an administrator. I've been a phys ed teacher. I've worked in an elementary school. I've worked in a high school. I've worked in career tech. I've had a lot of different jobs uh, from the education standpoint, which has just given me a, a pretty vast view of, of education as a whole. And then, obviously, I've always been a coach in multiple sports. So uh, I, I love everything about it. Uh, as coaches, you know, we, we don't do the, uh, you're just 182 day teaching contract. I mean, we're, we're year round and I wouldn't want it any other way. I really enjoy that, that relationship that you build with kids on a, on a year round basis. And uh, certainly in my role right now, I, you know, I deal with a lot of at risk students, which presents a lot of challenges, but also a lot of rewards at the same time. Um, coach, where did you, where did you uh, go to high school and what, who were some of your influences in the classroom or on the field? Sure. So I grew up in central Ohio in Knox County, basically in, in, in the very center of the state. I uh, went to a small school called East Knox High School, which is located in the eastern portion of Knox County. I uh, graduated with a whopping 82 students. Um, and it was a 7 through 12 building. So I was in, when I was in eighth grade, my brother was a senior, which was very unique, wow. you know, passing him in the hallway. And yeah. 82 kids was the largest graduating class that we had ever had. Wow. So it's, it's grown a little bit since yeah. then, but, but not much. Apple Valley Lake or Apple yeah. Valley Golf Course oh, yeah. is, is right there in that district. And okay. I think it's you know the fifth or the sixth largest uh, school district from a um, square, you know, square mileage standpoint in, in, the, in the state. 
Uh, but right? obviously not not very big yeah. from a uh, you know student capacity. Right. Uh, so grew up there. Really had a, had a lot of great you know my my, my high school football coaches in the high school football hall of fame, and wow. Wow. you know from a from a standpoint of of where I'm at right now, I would say he's had the biggest impact on my life. Um, he he was somebody that I that I that I you know really looked up to. I spent a lot of time with. Obviously, I was I was a football fanatic. I played all the sports, but but football was my first love, and and he was a he was a master of the of the psyche. Uh, you know, we we ran the old school double tight wishbone offense, and he had run that for 33 years. <laughs> and everybody knew what was coming, and it didn't matter. But mentally, right. we felt like we were always more prepared, uh, the yeah. better football team, more physical. And but you know, we just we never wanted to disappoint him. We had a lot of respect yeah. for him. But then I had a number of teachers that were, um, you know, that that were influential in my life and, and constantly pushed me academically to make sure that yeah. you know that I was that I was doing the best of my ability. Uh, well, what was really neat, though, was was my senior year, there was a guy named Mike Warbell. And Mike was a, a longtime football coach in Ashland County, ironically, at Loudonville. Okay? okay. So he got out of coaching, and his first administrative job was going into my senior year yeah. at East Knox. Okay. For whatever reason, Coach, I mean, I think Coach recognized that I was, um, you know, I was really into football, as was he. Yeah. But we just hit it off. You know, we had, a, you, sometimes you have a bond with somebody yeah. and, and yeah. your personalities are very similar and it just works, right? Yeah. So he and I just had a special bond and, and quite frankly, he was Larry Karras' college roommate. Wow. So he, about halfway through my senior year, yeah. um, he comes up to me, halfway through football season, he comes up to me and he goes, you know, what are you going to do next year? And I had every intention of being a firefighter EMT. That was oh. what I wanted to do. I wanted yeah. to build houses on the side. Yeah. And and be a firefighter would um, you know it just that that was yeah. interesting to me. I didn't yeah. really love school to be yeah. honest with you. Yeah. I liked football. Right. I loved the social aspect of it. Yeah. Uh, I didn't like being in a classroom that much, and and, right. and wanted to just go work and, and yeah. make money. Yeah. Um, and, and he and, you know basically Mike told me that's that, that's not acceptable. You know, right. you, there, there's more for you. I could. Not, you know, yeah. so he was the one that kind of made the connection for me at Mount Union, okay. and and that's why I ended up there was because of Mike. And then ultimately, as I, as I moved on down the road, you know, Mike was a big influence in, in, in me getting a job at the Career Center, me getting mm -hmm. my first head coaching chance at Loudonville. So I, I owe I owe a real lot, you know, to, to yeah. Mike. Well, coach, um, co coach, can you say Mike's last name again because it broke up? Mike Warbell. So uh, some people call him Warble. Some people call him Warbell. I, quite frankly, I don't even know how you say it. I just call him Coach. So. Okay. And, and Coach, your high school football coach's name? Chet Looney. Chet Looney? Yes. Hey, Justin, how would you describe uh, Coach Looney's coaching demeanor? Yeah. And, and do you in any way mirror that on the sidelines, in practice, during pregame? Yeah, there, there's, there's an aspect of it. Um, you know, I think Coach Looney was. I probably have more fun with the kids than he did. Now he was. He was a. You know, he had fun coaching. Yeah. Um, I think maybe my relationship is a is a little bit different with with. I try to make it a little bit different with all of my players, as opposed to you know. I, I obviously grew really close with Coach Looney and worked for him after I graduated college and worked with him while I was in college. But, um, you know, he was he was very detail oriented. He was very disciplined in his approach and, and the things that he did, and and he was a master motivator. You know, he had the ability to um, 
you know, to, to make you go that extra two steps. You know, you, you didn't want to disappoint him. And it's because he held himself to a very high standard. And the one thing that I always uh, appreciated about coach, and I noticed it when, when he was the coach, and then I also witnessed it when I was coaching with him, was no job was too big for him hmm. or no job was too small for him. So he would line the field. He'd carry the water. And, and I think if you asked our staff members, a lot of times they say, Coach, we have this. But, but I'm, I'm willing to do the dirty work. And, and that, that always impressed me about Coach Looney. They're, they're, he was never impressed with his title. And, and I try to be that way as well. Listen, somebody has to be the head coach. But ultimately, you know, you try to delegate. Um, you try to give responsibilities. But, but there's not a job that, uh, that I ask one of our coaches to do that I'm not helping them do it. So you go to Mount Union, Coach, and uh, tell us about that experience and how that helped shape who you are today, both as a man and, a t and as a teacher coach. Well, you know, obviously, what, what Mount Union, you know, they're, they're, they have a, you know, three core philosophies. It's God, family, football, mm -hmm. all right? And, and, the, and they, don't, they don't deviate from that. I, I can remember that uh, Coach Karras on my recruiting visit looked at me, and he, you know, and he asked me, he goes, do, do, you know, he wanted to know why I love football. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and that was I, I think that's kind of a core question that he asked all of his recruits, but he wanted to know what is it about football that you really love? And the reason why Mountain Union became so successful was because the guys that answered the question, I love the camaraderie. I love the brotherhood. I love I love all those other things that, that football gives me. That's why they're successful, because those are the people that that play at Mount Union. Yeah. Uh, it's not an individual. It's not an individualized game at all. Certainly, they're stars, but you have to you have to love the grind and, and the brotherhood, all the things that come with football. And um, so, the culture at Mount Union was a bunch of guys that that were there. They were selfless leaders that were there for one another, and, and that's what makes Mount Union so unique and so different. Uh, certainly, as people ask me all the time, well, what is it that that got Mountain Union to the point where they were. And it wasn't, you know, do they have great players? Of course they do. Yeah. But at some point, their players were no different than everybody else's. But it was yeah. a group of men that cared more about one another, the guy to the left and the right, than mm -hmm. they do about the guy in the middle. And, and right. that's, what, that's what separates the Mountain Union culture from everywhere else. Yeah. And I think that's why people that, that were a part of that culture have had success, whether it's at the collegiate level or the high school level, right. because you take that philosophy and then you preach that to your kids. Yeah. And when you get kids to buy in the, the selfless nature of sports, the willingness to work with, with one another, and, and the guy to your left and right are more important than the guy in the middle, yeah. that's, that's when you have success. Yeah. Did you run into any um, either personal or, um, I guess, maybe football uh, or educational adversity there? And how did you get through it? Yeah, so, so lots of adversity. So I injured. I, I, I was injured my sophomore year. Oh, wow. Um, I was never a great player. I mean, I, was, I, I worked really hard. Um, but I was not a, a fantastic, you know, athlete and, and would I have ever been a, you know, a great player there? Probably not. I ended up breaking my lower back when I, when I played there, wow. um, which derailed my career. And then after that point, I decided to yeah. get into coaching, but, um, from, from, you know, my, I grew up and, and my father was very sick. Um, you know, from about the time I was 12 years old on my, my dad died when I was 22 years old, but he was really sick. He, you know, he. Uh, he was a double amputee when he passed away, had a lot of cardiovascular issues. And, and wow. so those were things that, that we dealt with, um, you know, as a family growing up. And unfortunately, you know, my brother, um, you know, ended up, you know, dying as well, you know, right after I had graduated from college. And, but we dealt, my brother had some, you know, some um, addiction issues. 
And, you know, those were things that, that I dealt with throughout those four years of college. So, of course, we, we grew up, um, you know, I, 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 was, I was the richest guy on the, uh, on the block in the poorest house and the lowest income. So I had a great family. You know, I had, I had a great, great mother and a great father uh, that were very loving and provided me with a lot of emotional support, but we were, we were extremely poor. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I was always working, uh, believe it or not, I had my own window cleaning business and that's how I, you know, I, that's how I was able to financially support myself in high school and through college. Okay. Um, so, you know, there, there were, a, it, college was not easy because yeah. I, you know, I was dealing with, you know, with, with, with sick parents, uh, a brother that had addiction issues and and obviously working full time so and and that's okay you know that my story is not unique yeah. you know yeah. there's a lot of people that deal with that so um so those were you know those were things but i also you know because of football yeah. I, I had i had a really strong support group you know and, yeah. and guys that i'm still you know consider my best friends to this day you know guys yeah. that i lived in a in a house with and um you know so so those guys there there is that fraternity that sports does create yeah. And, and the bond, and, and you know, I was always there to rely on those guys. Yeah. So, coach, you, you get injured. Um, holy cow! I didn't realize all of those adversities that that you battled through. That's that's unbelievable. Um, how do, how do you refocus your your life then, and 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 choose coaching? And what was your first coaching foray foray there? Yeah. So I was um, I was a, a sophomore in college. I was originally a business major, mm-hmm. and you know that that's fine. It was it's kind of a standard major, yeah. but. I'm a sophomore in college, and I go back to one of our early uh, high school games. We were playing at home. It was prior to our season opening up, and I mm-hmm. and I ran back on a Friday night. And I was, I was, you know, East Knox is a unique stadium. You kind of stand on a hill, so everything's elevated. To one side of it's almost like a bowl. Yeah. And I'm standing on the hill, and I'm and I'm watching. You know, I would I would lift and run with the kids in the summer. You know, yeah. You know, I was obviously friends with some of them. And, yeah. And uh, and our head coach was coming out of the locker room right before the game. Chet Looney, and, and he saw me standing there, and, and he pointed at me, and he, and he motioned for me to come down to the sideline. Yeah. So, so I go down, and, and you know, he kind of gave me a hug and asked me how I was doing, and, and he said, "Hey, why don't you stay with me tonight? Stay on the sideline here." Yeah. And and that night it was that night changed my life. Um, I was watching him control the control the game, control the officials, yeah. and I was and I was just kind of you know I found myself once again looking at him for that leadership. And then realizing that all of these other players were doing the same thing. And I thought, wow, that's, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> the very, the very next Monday I went back and changed my major education and thought, wow. hey, this is me. You know, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. I want to guide them. Yeah. Yeah. Coach, that's such an incredible story. And most people listening to this probably have no idea, but you do that same exact thing with kids who have graduated from your program. And I've mm. seen it a number of times at Wadsworth where you invite your former players onto the sideline. I know right now you have former players coaching with you. Can you talk about that a little bit? Well, not to try not, I'm not, I'm going to try not to get emotional here, but, but I, I spend as much time right or wrong with those kids as I do my own and probably more time with those kids than, than their parents do with them. When when I invest in a program, which I, which I do, and I ask our coaches to do, and, and I ask them to invest back in us, it, it becomes a lot deeper than a, than a coach-player relationship. You almost feel like they're your children, and you love them like that, and you care for them that way, and, and, and you always want what's best for them. And, um, so one of, one of my favorite things is when our players come back, 
and I get to see them and, and, and hug them on the sideline. It, it's, it's one of my favorite things. And I always tell our guys, you're always welcome in our program and you're always a part of this Grizzly family that, that we've tried to create. Um, and, and they then feel that, that you know, I, it's amazing. I, a couple weeks ago, um, I will get random phone calls from one of them. Matter of fact, last night I got a text message from Tion Pickett. Yep. And Tion is, is, is one of, one of my favorite players. You know, he, he's, a um, you know, was kind of labeled as an at risk kid. Um, a lot of things weren't going Tion's way, but I really truly believe that football changed the directory of his, the direction of his life. We had some really good coaches that invested in him. And I certainly know that I've invested a lot of time in him. And he just texted me last night to, to tell me how much, how thankful he was he got accepted into the police academy. And uh, so he's doing really well. Uh, yeah, so th- those, are the, those are the things that we do this for, man. I, it's fun to win games, but, but when you started getting invited to the college graduation parties yeah. and, their, and their weddings, I mean, that's really what it's about. And, yeah. um, so I just, I love that our, our kids feel comfortable coming back and, and, and still being a part. They're not, they're, they're not too big to be a part of our program still. Yeah. They, they know how much the program means to them and, and that it helped them in their, in their direction. And they're thankful for that. And, and they love to come back and support the young guys. Yeah. You know, it's amazing to me that Chet Looney um, kind of uh, had the servant leadership and the unselfishness to do that. Cause you know, on a game night, when you're so into yourself and you're so into what you need to accomplish, so sometimes we forget about thinking about others because we're in our own tunnel. Um, so I think coaches listening to this who have ever been in that tunnel, it's a great reminder to get out of that tunnel and see the light, you know, and remember other people around you. Cause I, I know there's probably been games that I don't say hi to somebody that I, I wanted to, but maybe we're playing St. V's that, you know, maybe we're playing somebody and I'm so doggone nervous about that game that I'm not. I'm not doing what I need to do, which is the greater good that Chet Looney did, did for you, Coach. That's a yeah. great story. Thank you for sharing yeah, that. Of course. Um, so where's your first uh, coaching job then? So when I graduated from um, Mount Union, within, so I graduated in May, um, still needed to do my student teaching. Yeah. All right. So I graduated in four years. I wanted to get that out of the way. And then I was going to go back. And, and my plan was I wanted to coach. And, and, and I had a, a coaching position with, with Chet Looney at East Knox. So I wanted to coach. My, my plan, you know how plans work. My plan was to coach in the fall and then go back in the spring and do my student teaching. But I wanted to, I was going to, I'd substitute taught and wanted to save up some money. Um, well, in you know November first, my my dad passed away of two thousand four, and then eighty one days later, my brother passed away. So that kind of threw my plans into a little bit of a loop, and so there were some loose ends from a family perspective that I had to tie up. So I continued to coach, and, and I was working, um, and, and then finally went back. Uh, you know, he was in his my coach Looney was in his thirty third year when I graduated. The thirty fourth year would have been the year that my brother and my dad passed away. And then his 35th year, his last year, was when I did my student teaching with him in the spring. And then I rolled right into his job as the phys ed teacher, phys ed health teacher at East Knox. Okay. So that worked, the, the timing, you know, from that perspective, you know, God really worked and, yeah. and, and put me in that spot at that time. So uh, that, was, that was my first teaching and coaching job. I was an assistant coach at East Knox at my alma mater. Wow. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, due to you know, budget cuts and things like that. That was right around the, the you know, the recession. Yeah. Um, you know, I was rift or I was, I was moved to the elementary school for a year. 
Okay. And then I was, I was riffed um, after that, but you know, thank God I, the, the Knox County career center was starting a sports medicine program. Okay. And fortunately Mike Warbell goes back to that guy that was my <laughs> high school principal. He was a principal yeah. then at the career center. Wow. And so he had contacted me about that job. He yeah. knew that, I, you know, I, humbly, I would say I'm, I'm relatively good with kids and, yeah. and, and maintain control and discipline. And yeah. they were starting this program and he wanted someone to, they, they needed somebody to come in right. and, you know, start the program, build it and, and yeah. then, you know, go from there. So, yeah. Um, I applied for the job and I interviewed for it. And, and I can tell you that I was the least qualified person for that job on paper. But yep. what I did have going for me was that I was an educator yep. and I was able to impart on the hiring committee, how I was the first thing I was going to do is I was going to work with the staff, yep. you know, become a, a member of their staff family. But yep. then more important than that, I was going to control the classroom. Yeah. And, and I told them, I promised them, I will gain the knowledge needed. I can teach all the basics. I'm a health teacher. Yeah. I've, I've got that. I can teach the basics, but I promise you, I will go on yeah. um, and, and I will uh, acquire the knowledge needed. Yeah. And, and fortunately, my, my certificate enabled me to teach that class. So wow. I started this brand new program from scratch. And literally, there was zero direction. They said, here's an empty room. Yeah. Here's the equipment. You know, here's your budget. <laughs> Buy the equipment. Yeah. Find what book you want. And yeah. there you go. <laughs> so I took that position over and uh, it was a very successful program. I, I loved it. It was, it was hard because not only at that time. So I promised them that I would, that I would move on and, and acquire additional education. Well, if you know anything about me, I'm not a very patient person. <laughs> um, so I did a, I did a 30 hour master's program in one year in exercise science with a constant, <laughs> with a concentration in, um, you know, program development, things of yeah. that nature. Yeah. So while, and we were having our first kid. <laughs> so, so my day was I'm, I'm starting this program from scratch. So I'm writing up all new lesson plans, yeah. things that I've never done. Yeah. Um, I'm coaching football. Yeah. I've got it. I've got a young kid on the way and I'm doing 30 hours of <laughs> masterwork. And that's really where I learned to not sleep. That worked out really well. And I found this, this admiration for coffee. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, cause I, there just wasn't a lot of time to do things, but I was young and, yeah. and fortunately my life was supportive. And, um, yeah. so that was, that was kind of year one. Uh, then year two, uh, the second year of the program, I was, I was an assistant coach still. Mm -hmm. And year two, uh, the program was going a little bit better. I'd already had my master's degree, had a little bit more time. Yeah. Um, fortunately the Loudonville job opens up. Okay. All right. So I apply for the Loudonville coaching position and, and acquire that. Now I'm the head coach. I mean, so all of a sudden I get my master's program done. We have our first kid yeah. and I go ahead and decide to take a head coaching job. Now. <laughs> the Loudonville job, they did not have any teaching openings at the time. So oh. I was still working at the career center in my second year of the program. Wow. Uh, my wife and I, she was pregnant. We were going to have another child. And now I've got my first head coaching job. <laughs> uh, it's, it's pretty ironic to look at, at pictures of me before and after that season. You know, your first season as a head coach and yeah. uh, still building a program um, from, a, from an educational standpoint, trying to right. restart a program from a football standpoint. Again, right. didn't do a lot of sleeping, a lot of coffee. And, uh, but it, it was great. It worked out really well. We, we were, uh, you know, we implemented our program. We were a successful team that year from, from a number of standpoints, uh, but our culture was established. Yeah. And then that kind of led into the next couple of years. So following that at the Loudonville stop, their athletic director position came open. Okay. And so I really wanted to be with 
my players. You know, I, I was driving out there every day, and it's like, you know, I've got the, the sports medicine program going. That was my third year into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then I, I jumped into administration world and then did another one-year master's degree to get my administration <laughs> license. So uh, that was on top oh, of man. a second kid. And yeah, yeah, so it, it was a crazy couple years. So yeah. I was an athletic director for two years at Loudonville while I was okay. the head coach there for three years. Okay. Well, now, when you go to Loudonville from East Knox, do, do you bring along with you that, that, that wing tee or uh, uh, wishbone type of offense, or do you immediately go with something new? No, so I cut my teeth coaching as a defensive coordinator. That's really where my background is at. Okay. Um, when I took the Loudonville job, uh, you know, not that I didn't trust, but I felt like I was the most qualified to do the offensive work. Okay. And, and basically what I did was I figured out what drove me nuts as a coordinator, and that's, that's kind of the offense that we ran. So it was a spread option offense. You know, I, okay. I make, you know. So that's philosophical, but, sure, sure. Um, you know, spread option and, yeah. and, uh, and it was, again, it was, it was really good for us from that point. I don't know how much you want to get into scheme, but yeah, but yeah I, I basically took what I didn't like to do. So you know, my first couple of years, I was coordinating the yeah. defense, coordinating the offense and the special right. teams as well. So, and that happens a lot at small school. Yeah. Was that, was that offense something new for that league? Um, you know what I mean? What, what were, were coaches perplexed perhaps by it? Uh, not, not as much. I mean, you know, it was smaller school, so you didn't see as much spread. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, kind of the way that we did it, we were a power run spread team. Yeah. Um, what what was interesting though was, was we, we, we implemented it my first year and you know, everything. So, so my, my philosophy, and this is garnered from Mount Union, it's players, formations, plays. Yeah. So, obviously, you have your players. You're going to build formations around them, and you're going to develop plays to get your best players the ball. But yeah. it's all about your players, so what do they do well? Yeah. So, while we implemented that scheme, um, we didn't at that point have a quarterback that could run a true spread offense. Okay. So, we were about 50-50 spread and under center that first year, but our JV team okay. was 100% spread. Okay. Okay. Because we, we knew that we were going to be good. We were kind of developing yeah. those younger guys and getting them ready. Yeah. So then I made a – we had a 1,000-yard running back as a – you know, my first year, he was just a sophomore. Okay. It's a funny story. We were out after a weightlifting, throwing the ball with him, and all of a sudden this kid's throwing like what actually was during his – he was a punter as a sophomore. Okay. And he had punted one. They threw it back to him, and he was just messing around with the guy, and all of a sudden I see this kid's got a can. <laughs> So I throw him a yeah. ball again. I said, you do that again. Yeah. You know, then, and this was leading into the playoffs our first year. Yeah. Uh, this would have been 2012. And, and, and so we started running some wildcat with him at the end of the year out yeah. of the spread. Right. It was when we played our first round of the playoffs, Loudonville hadn't been to the playoffs in over a decade. Wow. So we get into the playoffs and we play a really good Bucyrus win for the team uh-huh. that had just had a 50-some game regular season win streak snap. Wow. They had, you know, we, we pulled up to the game that year. We had six seniors and they had 25. Man, uh, we, man. we didn't match up real well, but we were young. Uh, mm-hmm. but, the, but we were able to move the ball a little bit running Wildcat. Okay. So what I did then was I transitioned this 1,000-yard quarterback yeah. or 1,000-yard running back yeah. into quarterback. Okay. And everybody in Loudonville wanted me out of town. Right? <laughs> they were like, how are you going to take this running back and move him to quarterback? Right. Well, you know, two years later and a couple league titles and some playoff wins, and, you know, it, yeah. it worked out really well. He became <laughs> the – he was – even as the quarterback, he, he ended his career as the leading rusher in Ashland and Wayne County because we were wow. covered by those two areas. Wow. 
Um, and, yeah. and he learned how to throw the ball as well. Yeah. So yeah. that's really where the evolution of our offense came. You know, we were yeah. a, a spread to run, uh, yeah. taught him how to throw the ball a little bit, and, and then it yeah. was good. Coach, that whole story about Loudonville, I got to transition then, and I and we'll get back to uh, earlier times, but I got to transition ahead to Wadsworth <laughs> and the, the development of Joey Boffman. Yeah. Who, at times, when he was younger, didn't even win the starting quarterback job. You come to Wadsworth, and his senior year, he was Mr. Football in Ohio. Yeah. Well, this this is a cool – you know how God works, right? And, and, and you're always put in certain places, and, and, you know, at different times. So, so I'm at Loudonville for three years, right? And the, the Mid-Buckeye Conference, Loudonville was a part of, okay? And that was the conference that I played in at East Knox. And it was a great football conference. Okay. So going into my second year as the coach, the Mid-Buckeye Conference split up. Okay, so there, there was a couple, couple uh, counties that were involved. It was primarily Knox County and Licking County. The Licking County schools branched off and went into what's called the Licking County League. And then the Knox County schools, we maintained the integrity of the Dead Buckeye Conference. Um, but there was only four or five teams. So we were playing, a very, we were playing an independent schedule. By our second year, we were really good. We were becoming recognized as a small school you know, power. We were, we were really good. So teams were, were stopped scheduling us. The only ones that I could get us to call back were, were private schools, right? Uh, because we, we had odd weeks open, you know, we had week seven and week eight. So we were, we were traveling down to Hawking County to play Logan, who was division two, we were division six. We were traveling to Cuyahoga County, um, to play, you know, who who was it? Um, well, we, we were playing a, a private school up there. And then we were traveling to Columbus to play Bishop Reedy and a few other. So we were just traveling all over trying to find games. And it became to the point where, uh, you know, you only have, you can only play one game a week on a Friday. So we were an independent school, essentially. My, my, my two years as athletic director, Mm -hmm. that was, that was becoming taxing on me. So I was, I was the assistant principal. And the high school, after the, the, I was the assistant principal for grades 7 through 12, and I was responsible for all the discipline, wow. um, attendance, and the evaluation of some teachers. Wow. I was also the 7 through 12 athletic director. Okay? <laughs> and we were independent. So oh not only was gosh. I responsible for finding all of the, the non-league games, you know, when you only have four yeah. or five teams, um, this is for all sports, grades 7 through 12. We did not have a league commissioner, so I was scheduling officials. I mean, it was a, it was a really a tough though, combining those two jobs. And I feel like I have a pretty good work ethic was wearing me down. Yeah. Okay. And so Scott, I'm, I'm going to get to what you were asking about the development of Joey. So my third year, um, there were some schools that were, were calling ask, you know, about me wanting me to interview for some Stark County schools that were asking me to interview for their position. Um, at one point I was offered the North Canton Hoover job. Right. And I was, I was ready to accept that position. Um, at, at the same time, the local big school, Mount Vernon, which is about the size of Wadsworth, they came in late and said, um, you know, we'd like you to come down here. You can still be an assistant principal. And that was a job that I, I had never really been interested in, making a jump, you know, because it was local. But 
Uh, there, there were some, you know, uh, Bill Cedar, who's a longtime oh, football yeah. coach, was the superintendent. Great guy. And, and he did a great job selling me on the promise of the program. And, and quite frankly, they did a nice job. They, they allowed me to bring some coaches in. And uh, so it was, you know, took over that position. It was a job that I never imagined. It was one that I didn't covet. Um, but it was an opportunity where I didn't have to move my family. Um, and, 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 you know, we didn't have to move our house. So rather than driving 20 minutes to Loudonville, I drove 20 minutes to Mount Vernon. Right. So take over the Mount Vernon position. And it, it was interesting. So everybody expected us to be 0 and 10. Yeah. Uh, there were no returning starters. We only had 30 some kids. We had 17 kids returning from the previous year roster. Wow. Um, so we, you know, we went on a recruiting path, and we ended up with about 42 kids on our on our varsity roster. You know, which wasn't very good because we were playing in the OCC Columbus, playing oh. Olin Tangies and oh uh, you know Worthington yeah. Kilborn. Yeah. yeah. So it was it was not a it was not great matchups, but yeah. But we took a group of kids and we tried to install initially the offense with no returning starters that I had run at Loudonville. Yeah. Well, after our first week of camp. Um, I looked at our staff and I said, listen, not only are we not going to win a game, we're not, we're not going to get a first down. We're not going to score. And our kids are all going to get hurt. You know, I know who we're playing, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. So I said, listen, we have to make it. We have to make a commitment right now. We had a couple of, we, we got some of the basketball kids to come out mm-hmm. and I had a quarterback that had never taken a meaningful snap, but he had a pretty good arm. Yeah. And I said, look, we're, we're going to, we're going to just dive into it. I think we're going to be able to protect our kids. We're going to go completely empty. We're not going to have a back in the backfield. We're going to throw the ball every play. We're going to protect our kids. We're going to get the ball out quick. And we're going to become masters of the screen game. Yeah. So we went on this, gosh, six-week study, you know, and I met with every coach that I could. I found all the Texas Tech film. And, I mean, we just we went on to Kenton, Ohio at that time. was really known for their pass game. So yeah. we just started studying that. Yeah. And all of a sudden – we're, we're, we, we, like, we didn't make the playoffs by like seven, I'm talking total points. We, we were really good. We were tough yeah. to deal with. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we, we got something going, and we felt like we established a culture there. And I'm still in contact with all those seniors, you know, talking about those guys. I just saw them not too long ago over the 4th of July down in Apple Valley. I got to see a lot of them. Yeah. So that then transitioned. So my wife's grandfather has lived in Wadsworth for 35 years. Okay. I, her and I have dated since middle school. Okay. I went to Mount Union on the east side of the state. She went to Bowling Green on the west side of the state. We always, you know, we, we've dated since middle school. So, like, on, uh, you know, when, when our families would have Thanksgiving or Easter, that was always kind of like a middle meeting point for us. My wife and I both thought that Wadsworth was a, was a really awesome community. We, we, we thought it was beautiful. Um, I, you know, her, her grandfather, you know, is a sports fanatic, talked about all the sports. He loved it. So we always thought, you know, that, that might be a great place to raise a family. Yeah. Um, so all of a sudden, and I had no inclination, you know, so I, I knew of Wadsworth's success, but I had no inclination that that job was ever going to come open, yeah. right? I put that job on a pedestal. I thought, boy, if that job ever did come open, that might be a place where I could get my wife to move because <laughs> we have family ties there. Yeah. So all of a sudden that job comes open and obviously uh, you know, having only been at Mount Vernon for, for a year, that was really difficult. Through a lot of prayer, we decided, you know what, this is a job that seems to only come open every once every 20 years. Yeah. Right. So we should at least throw our ring in the hat yeah. or our hat in the ring and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
So interview for the job, ultimately, you know, after a period of time, I was offered the position and, and her and I decided to accept the job. So yeah. uh, difficult to leave Mount Vernon because I thought that we were getting something going, but also I thought this was a really good opportunity and didn't know anything about any of the kids, just knew that it was a great community and not that Mount Vernon wasn't. But we felt like if we're ever going to leave home, now's the time to do it. My son was going to be a second grader. My daughter was just entering into kindergarten. So it was kind of that right time to try it. Yeah. Um, and I was rated that 10-year mark as an educator. So, you know, you don't want to go too, too much past that. From yeah. financial purposes. So take the, uh, take the Wadsworth job. And the first thing um, I hear about is this Joey Bachman kid and how he, you know, he should probably be the next quarterback. Uh, but you might want to talk to him because he's an unbelievable wrestler and I don't think he's going to play football anymore. Mm-hmm. And I go, well, how did he do as a sophomore? Well, he wasn't the quarterback. Okay, well, how did he do on JV? Well, he didn't play JV. I go, well, when was he the quarterback? Well, he was the quarterback when he was a freshman. And I'm going, you're telling me that this is the quarterback of the future because he was a freshman quarterback and he didn't even play JV as a sophomore? Yeah. No. I go, well, how did he do as an eighth grader? He didn't play quarterback. Well, how did he do as a seventh grader? He didn't play quarterback. And I go, well, who the heck was the quarterback? And they said, Sophia Fortner. I go, wait a second. I go, that, I go, that sounds like a girl's name. And they go, it is. And she's the toughest person in that grade. And I'm like, well, does she, does she still play football, right? You know, yeah. nope, not anymore. So, so Joey had been a quarterback his freshman year. Obviously, we all know about Joey's athletic prowess. It's it pretty amazing. Yeah. First time I met Joe, he was, a, he was a sophomore. I had just accepted the job. And I, I reached out to him through Twitter, I believe. And he was wrestling in the state championship match. So I, my family, we all drove down to, to Columbus to shot Center and watched him wrestle. Didn't get to meet him that night, but that was my first uh, interaction with Joe. And I think he was wrestling 152 that year. Mm-hmm. And I'm going 152-pound kid. He's a wrestler. Typically speaking, you don't think of wrestlers being quarterbacks. They're, they're your linebackers, your running backs. You know, they're, you know. Yeah. So, but you could tell that he was a good athlete. And, and, uh, and, and so I then, in the offseason, got to work with Joey. And I would say that Joey's development was, at first, he was just a really good athlete playing quarterback. Through his hard work and dedication, he became a really good quarterback that also, you know, was a great athlete. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Coach, when you come from Mount Vernon and you went empty backfield um, and, and, and you kind of came up with something that was new, do you immediately bring that to Wadsworth or do you go back to your players formations plays when you first took over at Wadsworth and, and kind of reassess what you needed to do? Yeah. So when I took over at Wadsworth, um, they, that the previous year, they weren't very successful, but they were in a lot of games, uh, but they were, they were senior dominant. They had a lot of seniors that year. So there wasn't any underclass tape really for me to evaluate. And, and, you know, we, we tape our JV games. They did not. That's okay. Um, so there wasn't any younger tape for me to look at. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yes, there was players, but historically, Wadsworth had always been a power-based football team. Mm-hmm. So we thought, you know what, it's probably going to be an easier transition if we go back to some, some two-back set out of the shotgun and start to introduce it mm-hmm. that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what we installed. Again, not knowing a lot about our players because there sure. just wasn't anything to evaluate for us. Sure. Um, so going into that first year, offensively, we had one returning starter named Alex Jones. Okay. At the end of our first week of camp in the summer, we do a seven-on-seven, and on like the second play, Alex runs a wheel route, lays out for the football, separates his shoulder to the point where he's out for the year. That's our one returning starter on offense. Wow. 
So he, you know, he, as as we were developing Joey, we were going to rely a lot on Alex. Yeah. So we had another kid named Clayton Christian who would have been a really, really good inside zone running back for us. Uh, so he took the and, and he, you know, in our first scrimmage against Green, uh, did a really nice job, broke off some long runs. Joey obviously was a really good athlete running the ball. So we were going to be we were going to be run based as we yeah. developed kids. Yeah. At that point, we didn't have a lot of receivers. Uh, we weren't able to get you know some, some of the basketball athletes right. yet to come out, and right. um, so we were just working with what we had, which was fine. Yeah. And we scrimmage. Our preview scrimmage was against Perry from, yeah. from Maslin Perry. Yeah. And on the first drive, we're driving it right down the field, and then Clayton Christian gets the Joe Feisman. You got so it. So now, all of a sudden, my first string running back, my second string running back, they're both out, right? Oh, so we, you know, um, so now we're jumping into our third string guy. Oh boy! And um, you know, our our starting the one basketball player that we did have, Clayton or uh, Christian Zelay, right. he had torn his hamstring playing in an AAU game over the summer, so he was out. It was it was it was a it was a pretty challenging first season. Yeah, welcome and, to Wadsworth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, welcome to Wadsworth. Um, and and you know what, the league was really really good that year. You know, yeah. it was. Yeah. Uh, we played Worcester Week Two, which was their best team they'd ever had. Medina yeah. was their best team they'd ever had. Stowe made it to the Final Four. Hudson made it. Oh it was a, just a it was yeah. a grind, right? That's brutal. Yeah. Um, it was a it was a brutal first about five weeks. Mm-hmm. And we, what, what we were trying to do, our focus was to protect Joey. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't mean physically, but psychologically. Yeah, protect yeah. this kid because yeah. there just wasn't a lot around him at that point. Yeah, yeah. So we really slowed the game down. We were probably running 38 to 42 plays a game. We were trying to yeah. move ball control. Yeah. Um, and, and some of the games it was about, let's get, let's get, let's get Joey to, to the next week. Yeah. You know, let's not let him get killed. Let's get the ball out quick. And yeah. It was about midway through the season mm-hmm. where we transitioned into this empty spread offense. Okay. And, and at that point, I had had Joe for about 12 weeks at that point. He was starting to figure out how to become a quarterback. Yeah. And, and you could see it click. Um, yeah. And in our last five games, you know, we were scoring about 38 points a game. Um, we were real, you know, had we beat Hudson who made it to the final four, we were a minute and a half away from beating them. We had the lead with, you know, a minute left in the game and they they ended up kicking a field goal and beat us. Um, and they were a final four team, but we won basically, I think we won four of our last six in that Mm -hmm. season. And, 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 and you just saw this maturation of our quarterback and and kids were starting to, uh, Christian Zalay had come back. Uh, Mitch Blackburn was developing into a great, great wide receiver. And so we, we were starting to be able to do some things. Right. Um, so I met with Joe in the offseason, you know, did our exit interview with him. And I said, Joey, I go, if, if we're going to go where we need to be, I go, not only do you have to take another step forward, but the expectation for me now for you is to not only become the, you know, the, uh, I, I need you to be the district player of the year. I'm putting that much pressure on you. You have to become that quarterback. Yeah. I go, so as soon as wrestling is over, it's you and I, buddy, every day. Yeah. And and so Joe wrestled in the state championship match yeah. on Saturday. And yeah. on Monday, he and I were working in the gym. And it wow. was awesome. Yeah. And you saw this. I, I've personally never seen as much development. And this is not because of my coaching, trust me. This yeah. has a lot to do with Joey and the work that he put in. Yeah. I've never seen a kid change his ability from right. one year to the next to throw the football. It was yeah. amazing. Uh, became a really accurate passer. As a junior, he completed 50% of his passes. Wow. 
Wow. As a senior, he completed 65% of his passes. <laughs> um, as, as a wow. junior, he, he ran for more yards than he threw for. Or as yeah. a senior, he, he ran for, you know, 1,500 yards and threw for 3,500. Wow. Uh, which, wow. which, you know, obviously, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know that anybody expected us to be 10-0 yeah. that year. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I think we set every scoring record in Medina County. And, and, and again, it was because those guys bought into our program, bought into the off-season program, yeah. And then that transitioned into the season, yeah. and, you know, and yeah. sparked the playoff run. Coach, when you're working with him one-on-one, because um, I, I know a lot of football coaches will listen to this, what, what were you trying to get done? Were you trying to work on his skills as far as how he threw the ball, his reads, his, you know, what, what do you do? Is it just you and him playing catch? Do you have receivers in there? What kind well, of yeah, we, so, yeah, that's that's good. So, so we started off basically, you know, my footwork, you know, Joey was always an under-center quarterback. Yeah. Right, that that was the previous offense. So when he yeah. was the quarterback as a freshman, yeah. the one year he was an under center guy. So so that was a big thing was trying to make sure that he understood that his footwork also aligned with the concepts that we were running. And and so it was, and that started really his junior year towards the end of it. But it was it was mastering that. Yeah, understand why this drop aligns with this route. Yeah. Why this progression aligns with this footwork. Yeah. So, so that was really important. Mechanically, you know, Joey had went to some quarterback coaches when he was young. So mechanically, there wasn't a lot for me to change. It was footwork-based. Yeah. Okay. It was understanding how to become a quarterback from a pre-snap and a post-snap standpoint. Yeah. Um, so a lot of it was just he and I going through various concepts. Then it was bringing receivers in. So it, it, it's just like the education. It's the yeah. part, whole part, uh, whole progression. And, and that's what we did with Joe. Yeah. Coach, when, when I think of you, I think of just an unbelievable program builder. When I, when I say culture, um, how would you define Wadsworth football culture? Yeah, so I think the, the biggest thing that's a, that's a non-negotiable in our program is your effort. And, and what we've been able to turn around and put back on our players is your elf effort is self-driven. And we talk about character, and that's what what you know what you're doing when nobody else is watching. But but if you you know if, if you want to become successful in life, your effort better be impeccable. And and that's the number one thing that we preach, whether it's in the weight room, whether it's in the classroom, if it's in the community. I mean, effort. You have a choice whether you want to give great effort or not. And and so that's that's something that we preach all the time is is talking about. You've got to wake up every day. You've got to make a choice whether you're going to give great effort or not. So mm-hmm. I would say that our culture is built on this foundation of giving great effort. It's a non-negotiable in our, in our program. And we tell that kid, the kids all the time, listen, if, if you're someone that just isn't willing to give great effort when you're called upon, then, then our program's probably not for you. And it's okay. We'll still, we'll still appreciate you. But if you're not willing to put it on the line for that hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes that we're asking from you, right. then, then we don't want you or need you um, because we're about guys that are willing to give it all, go that, go the, you know, the extra two steps. Yeah. And then, you know, and then you'll see how that changes your life by yeah. giving great effort. Coach, because you do it that way, do, is there a, nat- is there a natural shedding process where some kids just kind of know, yeah, that's not for me, but the ones who are committed, they'll, 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 they'll buy in and stay. Well, you know, our numbers have risen substantially. So my first year, we had 38 varsity football players, and we had five kickers. 
So we have 43 on our roster. <laughs> uh, five, yes. They all wanted to come out and kick. Yeah. Uh, we didn't score a lot, so they didn't get a lot of work. And we only had one punter. But with that said, um, you know, our, our roster went from 38 to 64 to 76. To, you know, so, so our numbers grown. I believe that kids kids crave that discipline and that effort. That, that We hold them accountable for their effort. The kids crave that accountability. They, they may not think that they do, but you guys are great coaches and you understand that. They want to be held accountable. Yeah. And we constantly talk, you know, we rip our kids if they're not given great effort. Yeah. Okay. But we also love them up probably more than any staff when they do give great effort. We reward kids based on their effort as yeah. opposed to their performance. And, and, yeah. and that's just a big thing. That's something yeah. that I've always believed in. Performance is going to come and go. Yeah. All right. You're, you're, you know, you might drop a ball. You, you might, you know, you might miss a block. But if yeah. your effort was great, then, then I can live with that. Right. So our kids understand that, that if I screw up, coach is going to love me if I, if I went hard. He, I'm going to get corrected. Yeah. And, and I'm going to be corrected with great effort. Yeah. But if I've went hard, then I realize that, that my worth is defined by my effort, not by my performance. That's true, Coach. I love that statement. What, what about uh, the year that you were struggling in those first five weeks? How, how do you handle that? Um, I mean, are you getting after them after that game? Are you saying, guys, the effort's there? Are you saying we're almost there? I can see this turning. You know, the, the, the year you, that you said the first five games were pretty rough at Wadsworth. How, yeah. do you, how are you handling that? It, it, was, it was the latter of what you said, um, and, and that was that was very specific, you know, from, from me to our staff to our players. That uh, the you know the last thing that we can do is lose any more of these kids. They've been told for a long time that they're not very good. Mm-hmm. We don't need to tell them that. Right. They know. They realize that we're not winning. We don't have to drive yeah. the hammer in right now and yeah. tell them, hey, you're not you're not good enough. Yeah. They need to understand, and we need to show them the marked improvement that they're making. So everything right now has to be, I love what we did here. It's not good enough, but, man, think about where we started, but yeah. this is where we're going. Yeah. And the kids really bought into that. And I think that culturally, they, they began to appreciate that, hey, we all want to win. Yeah. But just because we lost last night doesn't mean that next week has to be miserable. We're yeah. going to learn from this. And I do believe that this is a personal philosophy. I believe that every situation provides you with an opportunity to learn and grow. Yeah. And, and if you're not willing to take that growth mindset, then you're going to be somebody that's stuck in, in, in mediocrity forever. So we really, you know, we kept talking about learn and grow, learn and grow, learn and grow, give great effort. And then it all, they all clicked. And we were able to, uh, to turn that. that was the foundation of our culture. Coach, how do you compete? At the highest level, Wadsworth, I think it's a small Division II school sometimes, but it's a Division II football school. Mm-hmm. How do you compete at the highest level? Uh, you've basically had three undefeated seasons. You're winning league championships. You're progressing in the state playoffs uh, against teams in, like Hoban in your region, like Maslin in your region. Um, how do you stay... I guess, positive and keep kids believing that why not us? We are good enough. Yeah. Well, that's not always the easiest thing to do, as, as you guys know. But certainly, you know, having success has helped, you know, and, and, and showing them. I think what, I think what you're going to find that's going to be common across successful coaches is that they're going to talk about their, you know, the, the demand for effort from their kids. 
And again, I, I always tell our kids, you know, it's like the first thing I tell them when I see them in the morning, like, listen, we're here. So we might as well make the most of it. There's nowhere else we can be. You've been dropped off. You drove here. So let's take this hour and 45 minutes. And it might not be the most fun thing that you're going to do, but make it the most productive thing that you're going to do today. Um, what has really helped us, I, I think our off-season program is pretty significant. And, and, and Coach, you, you've seen us in the weight room. We spend a lot of time in the weight room. And, and we don't have a, you know, a, a strength coach for our football program. It's, it's me and our staff. And, and I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you, if you go by our weight room, uh, we, you know, uh, one of my favorite things is when people stop and watch us lift because our kids work so hard. And again, we demand it. We reward them. Um, but our kids are, you know, we have closed the gap. I, I really believe that. And, and, you know, we preach, listen, we are Wadsworth kids and we're playing Wadsworth football and, and, and we're going to play anybody else. And, and we play for one another. So, I think the combination of, of, you know, demanding effort, and, and then that's trickled down throughout the grades, the, uh, the, the selfless nature that we preach, all right, and then having the, the numbers to compete with some of those schools that you mentioned has really changed the game. I, you know, I, again, going back to year one, probably the thing that I, that I noticed most, you know, Wadsworth had always kind of been a big school and a small school conference prior to my arrival. When we moved into the new suburban league, all of a sudden we weren't the big fish. We were kind of the middle of the road fish, you know, and playing against some some pretty competitive teams. Um, but their rosters were, you know, were, were were so greater than ours from a number standpoint that I thought we were in real trouble if we did not increase our roster. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're my our first year we were playing, you know, eighteen guys. Um, predominantly on a Friday night year two, we were playing 34 guys. And, wow. and so that's something that I believe in. If we could be playing 30 to 35 guys on a Friday night, 30 to 35 guys on a Saturday and 30 to 35s on a Thursday with our freshmen, uh-huh. then we can maximize those kids you know, are all of our kids as athletic as the kids that we played when we went against Maslin or some of these other teams, they're not, but because we've gotten them additional reps because we've increased our roster numbers We've now been able to maximize on what they do well. And it goes back to that players, formations, plays, and that's a philosophy offensively and defensively. Find what that kid does well and maximize that. Yeah. Don't ask him to do something that he can't do. Right. If, if we did, then that's on us. That, that, that's our issue. Yeah. Coach, you, you mentioned, um, and I, we're going to wrap up in about five to ten minutes, but you, 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 know, you mentioned that you wanted it to be fun. But you also mentioned that you expect great effort. And I've, I've always, um, in my own coaching journey, I've, I've had a few kids come in um, to the classroom or, and say, hey, coach, man, it, it's just not fun anymore. You know, the gym's too tough. How do you keep it fun and yet also have very demanding practices? Yeah. We, we, we do have those kids. I mean, that's going to happen every year. You know, we have those kids that just you say, you know, feel better, man. You just made yeah, me feel better. No, I mean, it, it does happen. I mean, you know, um, competition is a lot of fun. Yeah. And if you're not somebody that likes comp, I would say, so, you know, again, this is uh, everything that we do. I've stolen from somebody, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. but you know, we've had coaches come to our practice and they've said that's the most up-tempo practice I've ever been to. Wow. So our practices are, are very detailed, very scripted, very structured. I, I, I love the way that we practice our coaches. 
yeah. love the way that we practice. And we're constantly, you know, off season, everybody's doing scheme. And yeah. we're talking about practice development. How can yeah. we develop our players better? Yeah. There are so many competitive periods uh-huh. in our practice yeah. that you can't help but have fun. If you're, <laughs> if you're, if you're not a believer in competition, then yeah. no. Football's right. probably, our program's probably not going to be very fun for you. Right. But if you enjoy competing in yeah. everything that you do, yeah. then you're going to have a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, so, so that is, that's, that's what I mean by fun. Like, yeah. you know, I mean, are we yeah. telling jokes with them afterwards? <laughs> or, I mean, are yeah. we very strict and very disciplined when yeah. we're within our practice? Yes. But what I love about our staff, um, is that we're also able to turn that off. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they, uh, and our kids know you yeah. cross the white lines, we're going to ramp it up. Yeah. When we're done, we'll turn yeah. it off, you know? Yeah. So, and they yeah. get that and I think they respect that, but, but yeah. when we go to work, it's time to compete. Yeah. Coach, when you say competitive, is it um, can can that be a small sided game, which in basketball would be two on two, three on three, or is it competitive? I mean, are it competitive games with smaller numbers, or is it competitive games eleven on eleven or seven on seven? It's it's all it's all of the above. So um, you know, we we do a period. You know, gosh, our, on Mondays, you know, our kids you know, they go into what we call screen drill, and it's we're throwing our quick screens, and our defense is trying to defend them, and it's other than tackling, it's full contact, and yep. it sets the tone on Monday. Coaches are going crazy. Kids are going crazy. Yep. And it's, I mean, it's, it's how we start practice. We're setting the tone on a Monday yeah. for the rest of the week. We're going to compete in three on three, seven on seven, yeah. O-line, yeah. D-line. Yeah. Uh, everything that we do is, is part, you know, so you're in your individual and then we bring groups together and, it's, and, and we go compete. Yeah. So you, you learn a skill and then we go compete. Yeah. You learn, and, and, and Coach Knapp and I, who's my defensive coordinator, I think you guys have had him on. Right. He, he and I do a great job of coordinating. All right, well, they're install, I'm installing this. They're installing that. Let's bring this together and let's compete. And yeah. let's show these kids. So everything is, is competitive in nature. Coach, I got to ask you about one of your players this season. I think he's one of the most unique players in Northeast Ohio, if not the entire Midwest. And just in a matter of a couple months, he's become the most highly recruited player in the history of our school. Yeah. And that's Mitchell Evans. I mean, he's going to quarterback for you. Yeah. And, and he really could be your offensive tackle. Sure. Yeah. So funny story about Mitch. I just – his uh, – his dad's our, our middle school coach, one of our middle school coaches, and we were talking about this yesterday. Um, when I met Mitch, he was an eighth grader my first year in Wadsworth. Mitch was a backup defensive end and the backup quarterback. He was about five foot eight, two hundred pounds, kind of a short, stockier kid. I'm saying stocky in a nice way, right? <laughs> um, so I didn't really know Mitch. You know, he's yeah. surrounded by some good athletes and. Yeah. And some of those kids were earlier developers. They were the ones that I was told about. Yeah. Um, I was trying to learn all the varsity kids before I infiltrated the middle school. So yeah. we started middle school weightlifting that offseason. And Mitch's dad just told me yesterday, after Mitch's seventh grade and eighth grade experience, because he never got to play, he was done with football. Wow. He was done. And his dad and mom talked to him and said, hey, there's, there's a new regime in. You need to at least go give these guys a chance. Attend one of the weightlifting. Yeah. So we're having a weightlifting, and we're waiting on parents to come after, and, and I grab a football, and I'm just starting to throw it, and, and one of the games I play, I throw it to a kid, he tells me his name. I'm literally learning their names. And so, you know, and I'm also seeing who's going to be my next quarterback, because they have to throw <laughs> it back to me, right? So, so I throw it to Mitch, and he throws it back to me and almost puts it through my hands. I'm going, whoa, all right, this kid's got an arm. But again, he was five foot eight, 200 yeah. pounds. 
Yeah. Well, then I learned who his sister was, and she was like already the queen of the county in volleyball. Yeah. Then I met mom and dad, and they're both tall people. Yeah. And mom tells me, she goes, yeah, my brothers are all like six, seven. And I'm going, okay, this kid's <laughs> going right to quarterback. So yeah. Yeah. as a freshman, um, our first camp that we had, he was shorter than me. He, you know, you know, probably about five foot nine. Yeah. By the end of his freshman year, he's six, three. Uh, then he's six five, and then he's yeah. six seven. So Mitch's maturation has has been, you know, it was unfortunate that he was not very healthy last year. You know, he only played in six games, and I would say three of the six he was healthy. Yeah. You know, so we never really got to utilize Mitch to the fullest. But um, I am praying that you guys get to see this kid play quarterback because it is something special. <laughs> not only can he throw, obviously he can run. Mitch is a special kid. He's a special talent. You don't find many kids like that. And I told Mitch the other day, I said, listen, every rep that you do from now on, from this point forward, I go, because we can start it today. Mitch has always been a hard worker. I go, but I want you to take another step. Yeah. Every rep that you take from this day forward could change the financial future of yeah. your family and then generations to come. I go, think about oh, that, yeah. Mitch, because yeah. not many people are six foot seven, 250 pounds and can run. So yeah. every rep that you do, if there's not motivation enough, yeah. every rep has the ability to change your future yeah. and your family's future. Man, that's such a special talent, Coach. I, I hope, like heck, we have a season so we can come watch him. Um, yeah. Before we get into that, Coach, I want to just ask you a really important question. How, how do you take care of yourself? I mean, it seems like you give um, uh, 199% of all you have. How, how do you take care of self-care and, you know, try to make sure that you don't blow up? It's hard. Um, so, you know, because I – so we had practice this morning. And I'm looking at my, um, we, had, we had two practices. I'm looking at my Fitbit. I have 17,000 steps in, and it's 1.30, right? Yeah. So, uh, so really practice is my conditioning. I, you know, you could, yeah. you could ask the kids if you've ever attended a practice. I'm, I'm running from drill to drill, and, and, yeah. and that's part of taking care of myself. I, yeah. I don't require a lot of sleep. I'm blessed in that way. I'm not one of those people that has to get up early and drink a pot of coffee. I drink coffee because I like it, but I'm, I'm blessed that I don't yeah. require a lot of sleep. Okay. Um, you know, in, in the off season, I'll, I'll, I'll work out, but you know, a lot of, um, you know, what, what I have to be honest with you, the pandemic really helped me Yeah. from a, from a spiritual and an emotional standpoint, because I can get caught up in, I think like a lot of coaches, I can focus on everything that's wrong. Yeah. And, and, and you know, what's going wrong in my world right now. Yeah. And the, the pandemic pandemic really allowed me to take a step back and look at everything that's right. Yeah. You know, and, and, and all the blessings and all the kids that I, you know, that I get to work with and, and my family. And um, so from like a spiritual standpoint, uh, that, that was, that was the best thing that ever could have happened to me it was a time to, to get away from the, from the grind. Cause I do get, I'm a grinder. I get caught up in that. Yeah. But to be able to step back and, and really just kind of take everything in and, and look at all the, the positives that are that are taking place even in like the most negative time in our history right um i was able to step back and, and do a lot of self-reflection and, and and now what i've you know my mission is to is to now drive that even more into our players look at the great things that are around you yeah. a lot of bad things are happening but man let's focus on what we can control and, right. and all the positives in our life so that's right. um th those are the ways that i'm that i'm working on taking care yeah. of myself Coach, I know how badly you want high school football to start and for us to have a high school football season. 
uh, not just for you, but your coaching staff, but most importantly for your, for your players and their families. Um, I, and I know this is just such a tough topic to even uh, uh, begin to address because everybody has a different idea. Um, just in general, as a head coach, as an educational leader, as a one-time administrator, um, why do we need high school sports? Well, I'm even going to go a step further. Uh, why do we need school? All right. Yeah. And uh, Scott, you know my job. I, I work with a, a, an at-risk population. And as an administrator, this was something that I saw on a, on a yearly basis. Anytime that we would approach a break, Thanksgiving break, Christmas break, spring break, summer break, you always saw the discipline incidences spike. Yeah. Okay. And the reason for that is because this is their normal. This is where they are more loved, more cared for, and more respected. Where we feed them. Um, even when they do things wrong, they're given attention. Um, even the, the, the ones that have the highest number of discipline incidences, they develop relationships with the administrators. There are teachers that are advocates for them. They are around their friends. My biggest fear with all of this, and I have been very vocal about this, is the impact that it's going to have on our kids not having that love, care, and respect that they find at the school. From the, from the most egregious acting kid to the best one in the school, there is somebody here that loves and cares for them, whether it's a teacher, an adult, whoever it is, there's somebody here that gives them a sense of belonging. My greatest fear is that this pandemic and our kids not being in school, they're losing that. Right. And you can look at the studies, and I'm not going to talk about the virus and its impact, but I'm going to talk about this social isolation and the, the suicide rates, the, um, um, the overdoses, all of the things that are happening as a result of this pandemic, mm -hmm. those are my fears. Yeah. Obviously, I'm biased towards sports. And, I, you know, sports are a, a means for some kids to have that acceptance and all of the great things that it provides with the structure and the discipline and the leadership. Yeah. But school as in general. And I, to, to, to not sound cavalier, I am afraid that we are sacrificing our future to protect our past. Yeah. And what I mean by that is that these kids are, are, are losing out on important developmental years, whether it's, whether they're in band, whether they're in football or whether they're just in school. Mm -hmm. And I don't know it's these kids. I don't know that it's our responsibility to tell these kids, you're not allowed to be around other people and get all of these great development you know, these developmental years. So that way we don't get other people sick. And I recognize the importance of that. I do understand that. Mm -hmm. But I also think that if this could go a really negative way, and I don't mean that everybody's not important. That's not what I'm trying to say. Right. But I'm really concerned about our kids. Yeah. Um, and obviously we have to, we have to protect everyone. But I don't know that we have to do that at the expense of our children and our right. future because they are our future. Right. And I'm, I'm really concerned about that. Um, 
from a football perspective, you know, I keep telling people from a, a sports perspective, if you're not willing to have your, you know, like, you know, because it's, I mean, really the, the reality is, is, is based off of the science, it shows that these kids aren't really affected by the virus. Thank God, right? Because we didn't know that at the beginning. Right. You know, we don't see kids getting sick and hospitalized and at a large rate because of COVID. So thank God for that. But with that said, you know, what we're asking these kids to do then is, is the reason you can't go back is because we have to protect somebody else. Yeah. Right. Well, all those people that are worried about protecting somebody else, are they not being around people? Are they not, you know, allowing their kids to hang out? You know, I, I, so is, is there yeah. some bias there? Um, because of sports and school, you know, I don't know. I, I don't think there's a right answer, guys. And that's yeah. just me speaking. Yeah. And, yeah. and I'm not trying to offend anybody. I, I'm really not because I, I understand. I've got a, I've got a mother that's in her late sixties. I certainly don't want her to get sick. Yeah. Um, but it, but at the expense of sacrificing, you know, this normalcy for our kids, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm in, I'm in deep fear that yeah. their time away from this important component of their social emotional and mental development can be detrimental to them in the future yeah yeah coach i think i think you're talking about all the collateral damage of this that we might not even begin to understand for 5 10 15 years down the road and that's yeah. my fear is a teacher coach too you know you you're doing this tk's doing this i'm doing this and i would say 99% of educators are doing it because we love kids and we want to be a part of their maturation, and we want to be an extension of their families. And the helpless feeling all of us educators have had is we're not allowed to do that right now. And this maybe is the time in our life's history where these kids need it the most, and we can't be with them. And, and that's what's so frustrating. And, and, and I certainly know where you're coming from, and, and I appreciate your passion. And we just, yeah, like you said, there's no easy answer, but we want to be able to protect kids and provide an escape for them and make sure that they're mentally, physically, and spiritually healthy. Correct. Yeah. And, and that's, and that's what, it, that's, that's really what, what I'm about. Um, I, I want to be able to do it in a safe and effective manner. And, um, but I just, I, I you're right. The, the collateral damage from this is, is my greatest concern. And if we, um, you know, it, it's no longer the norm to have a two parent household where one person stays at home. And you know, that, that's just not the norm. A two parent household is not the norm anymore. It's the exception. And so, uh, you know, obviously deeply concerned about, about all the kids. Um, and, and, and that's, I guess that's where my primary focus is at right now. Certainly I want to play football. That's, that's probably uh, goes without being, you know, without saying yeah. Well, coach, we could get down a rabbit hole on that one because we could talk. We could talk spring football. We could talk fall football, <laughs> and and then we're going to take away your time that that you want to get uh, prepared for for the job that you do. But I'll tell you what, Justin, um, I've never been more impressed than I am with, with everything that you said there. I, I love what you said, uh, and I think it goes back to faith over fear. You know. And when we are coaching our youngsters, especially maybe a quarterback or a shooter in basketball, we want them to play with great faith. We don't want them to play with fear. Mm -hmm. And I think right now our society is acting a lot on fear instead of faith. And I think uh, your words were very, very well spoken. Scott, I'm going to let you wrap up first because I think we've taken a lot of coaches' time. But this is going to be one of our best podcasts, folks. I'm really excited to put this out there. Coach Cal? Coach, you know, I'm blessed to – 
to teach in the same building and work in the same building that you do. And, you know, when people ask me about you, and we've got some common friends, like our good friend Tyler Bates, who you mm -hmm. coach with. <laughs> and, and when people ask me about you, I always say the same thing. It's your energy and your passion. And you talk about rewarding effort. Well, I think you're being rewarded as a coach because of your energy and passion. And those things are contagious. And, and for people who don't know you, and they follow football or leadership or sports. To me, you're the high school version of PJ Fleck. And, <laughs> and, I mean that, and I mean that in this way. You build culture. You're very demanding. You're very demanding. And, and, but, but, but people are attracted to that. And that's such a rare quality as a coach. It's something I've struggled with. You want to be demanding without being demeaning. And you want to attract people to really hard work, which is an oxymoron in our society. Yeah. Um, but, you, you know, uh, I think you found a great place in Wadsworth. Um, I love your effort. And I love the fact that you, you're trying to create young people who are driven and don't need to be motivated on a daily basis. And uh, TK is going to wrap this up. But Justin, thanks for your time, because I know it's valuable. Um, but I, I, your voice is one that that other people need to hear. Well, I appreciate that. Thanks for having me on. Coach, um, I'll tell you what, I want to wrap up with this. I think this is a great lesson to all those listening of how important our mentors are and how important we are to the youngsters that we deal with or anybody that we influence on a daily basis, regardless of age. Had Mike Warble not pulled you aside and, and given you a, a hint about Mount Union or had Chet Looney not waved you down from the stands, um, you know, I think your life takes a different avenue. And um, honestly, even if you're I think you're doing the job of a firefighter and I think you're building houses. I think you're saving lives. You're not saving lives from fires, uh, burning houses down, but you're saving lives with the way you're impacting people with the domino effect of paying it forward in, in, in an athletic pursuit and in the building educationally. And I think you're building houses in the way that you're building foundations for kids that they would never have gotten. Think about all the kids that are playing wise with football now because of this new energy that you injected into it that maybe were, we're not sure if they wanted to play or just weren't playing before. No offense to anybody else, but anytime we have new energy, sometimes that happens. And to me, you're building houses and you're firefighting just in a different way, man. So kudos to Mike and Chet and kudos to you. I'm really, really impressed, Coach. Thank you so much for spending your time on the Teacher Coach podcast. It's more than about players, formations, and plays when it comes to Justin Todd, folks. It's about building houses and building foundations for young people. It's about dealing with adversity in a way where we, we kind of keep it positive and we keep a, a growth mindset. It's about learning and growing. And I can't wait to watch Wadsworth football this season because we will have a season in 2020. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to the Teacher Coach Podcast with Scott Matthew Callahan and TK Griffith, our guest, Justin Todd.